Welcome to Book Talk for Book Talk, a literary podcast where we've been deep diving into your favorite novels. This is Jack. And I'm Amy. And our listeners love to share their thoughts and theories via email and voicemail. So we're sharing them via our weekly mini episodes. The views expressed by the hosts and listeners are entirely their own and in no way represent the thoughts or intentions of the original author. This podcast is a discussion shared to spark thought and conversation on the characters and themes of this novel. Spoilers may be discussed with or without warning. Explicit language, as well as themes of sex, violence, abuse, death, and oppression will recur throughout this podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to our mini episode series. During each mini, we'll be reading listener feedback and theories, as well as discussing all things Sarah J. Mass, including her Akatar, Crescent City, and Throne of Glass series. This theory is from Isabel. I believe that Asriel and Kale are on parallel journeys with each other. Both are similar in their core natures. They are both unquestionably loyal, both feel as if they have to constantly prove themselves to people they consider their families, both have had an abusive relationship with their fathers, and both have extreme prejudice. Kale towards magic wielders and Asriel towards Illyrians. Kale had loved a girl prior to the events of Throne of Glass, but found her in bed with Roland, and I think this parallels Az's relationship to more. Kale's next relationship was with Aelin. It was hinted at through all of Throne of Glass and before they got together in COM. Their relationship was short and brief and ended badly. I think they were officially together for like a week before shit hit the fan. This parallels As and Elaine. Both couples look good on paper, but they each lack the special spark that makes up an SJM endgame couple. They end up being worse for each other because their personalities are both too similar and they enable each other's insecurities. Asriel is overprotective to a fault. Look at his reaction to Eris at the Highlord meeting, his reaction to Elaine being used to help find the trove. This leads me to think that Asriel will go on a journey of introspection and emotional healing with the help of whoever is his love interest. So it's almost like podcast lore now that everyone knows that you haven't read Throne of Glass. Yeah, really. So none of that meant anything to you. No. But I will say Kale's a very controversial character. That I do know. And the fact that uh, that they compared Asriel to Kale, I'm like, ooh, controversial. But you know what? I see it. I see it. I obviously don't. I only know of Kale kind of through TikTok. Yeah. Basically, it's two guys who have a whole lot of issues mm. and pine after the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And what I will say that I felt like Kale really did was male gaze Aelin quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And she was never who he wanted her to be. Yeah. In my mind. Uh, We haven't analyzed it. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But I think that's the same way that Asriel is with Moore. Asriel is with Elaine, Mm -hmm, where mm -hmm. none of the women are actually who he wants them to be. I could see that. And we have a couple more theories related to Asriel and Asriel's male gazing of Moore coming up. Oh, my God. It's almost like I should read it. Oh, my God. This next theory is from Isabel. In a recent reread of Akamoff and Akawar, the books that are supposed to be hinted at a potential romance between Moore and Asriel, I find it blatantly clear that almost all of their, quote, romantically coded interactions were just Farah projecting what she knew about the relationships onto As and Moore. In Akamoff, she had just come out of her one long-term relationship, which happened to be with her and Tamlin. They were toxic to each other, and I think Farah saw a lot of herself in Asriel's dedication to more. 
I think she's biased towards a lot of Asriel and Moore's interactions, especially in Akamoff, off of how her relationship with Tamlin was, because that was all she knew about love at that point. Farah loved Tamlin too much and sacrificed everything for him. Her devotion to him under the mountain parallels Asriel's devotion to Moore. Then Tamlin did nothing under the mountain, while Moore never reciprocates Asriel's advances. The only time I really felt Moriel in Akamoff was when they were in Highburn and Moore was fighting for Asriel. But honestly, if anyone else in the inner circle were in the exact same position, I know she wouldn't act any differently. Many people feel like SJM coded Moriel to be endgame in Akamoff, but I think that actually it was just Farah projecting what she knew about love onto their interactions. I think this is so brilliant. Yeah. That Feyre, because we see this happen a lot, that Feyre is constantly trying to play matchmaker. Mm -hmm. And it makes sense that all of it is colored by whatever relationship she's in or just had and what little knowledge she has of what it means to be in love. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to like go back to our memory, to our memories of season one when we were talking about Feyre doesn't understand what love means or Mm -hmm. like what it looks like because she only understands love from a selfish point of view because that's what she saw with her parents. Right. And just like Tantlin was selfish with Farah, that's with Farah, and that's what she knows of it. And I think that there's something to be said, like Moore's extremely selfish with Asriel. She's not willing to cut him loose. Yeah. It's extremely selfish. Like almost 500 years worth of this. Right. So obviously, therefore, Moore just doesn't understand her true feelings. And is truly in love with Azrael from Farrah's point of view. Yeah, yeah, from Fair. Yeah. So Farrah just sees like, wow, someone's being selfish. <laughs> they must really love each other. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. This must be OTP. <laughs> but like Farrah was also just like a dirty little pot stirrer too. Oh, yeah, she was. She is so messy. She was like throwing Cassian in the mix too. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when I first, first read it, I like just the like the inkling of like, a love triangle. But when you go back and read it, there was never even, Mm-mm. there's no love triangle there. That was nope. like Farah being Farah. No, it is for sure. She just, she sees what she wants to see. Yeah. And she probably to some extent assumes everybody else gets a fairy tale. Uh-huh. Because she does it. Yeah. So therefore, they all must be in love with each other. Yeah. They just don't know how to resolve their feelings. Honestly, this is the most relatable part of Farah. Honestly, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel it. <laughs> this is hidden. We're just like talking about her, but I'm also slowly putting a mirror in front of myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh. Be like, wow. Is that me? Are we talking about ourselves now? <laughs> Am I, Farah? Did this just turn depressing? <laughs> this email is from Kirsten. So I have some thoughts about the way Resand treats Farah while under the mountain. We all know Reese is morally gray, but I think he was more intentional in his treatment of Feyre than people give him credit for. Specifically, this theory is about why he twists the bone shard in her arm to intentionally cause her physical pain. While it can be argued that he simply didn't love Feyre yet, I think Reese is doing it to protect both himself and Feyre from the Damati of Amarantha's court. We know Amarantha controls Damati because they are the ones who shatter the minds of the winter court children. We also know that Feyre has no mental shields at this point, and she pretty much just blasts out her inner monologue through a bullhorn. If Reese was treating Feyre with too much kindness or sympathy, there's a good chance that Feyre would broadcast that with her thoughts to all of Amarantha's Daimati. Additionally, we know that fairies can scent fear. 
I think that Amarantha and her court would have become very suspicious if Feyre's scent did not convey fear when around Reese, or worse, showed her attraction toward him. Call back to Room's, quote, reeking of sex in later novels. I think Reese intentionally hurt Feyre so that she would continue to have thoughts revolving around him being a prick who intentionally caused her harm, keeping up the facade that Reese had been playing for the last 50 years. I think it was all part of a greater plan to not only protect himself and the image he had curated, but Feyre as well. So at the start of this email, they did a great job. They, you know, presented their thesis Mm -hmm. at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I was ready to be like, okay, sure, we'll see. And I'm thoroughly convinced. Yeah, I thought Kirsten did a fantastic job. Yeah. I know when I also started reading this in preparation for this mini episode, I was like, "Mm, I don't know. Yeah, right? And then I'm like, oh, shit, you're... You've convinced me. This is a well-written paper. <laughs> Good job, Kirsten. You had your thesis at the beginning, your supporting arg- arguments, and then the summary at the end. Yeah. Fantastic. A plus. Yeah. A plus listener feedback. Absolutely. I do see her point that Feyre is an open book, and to show her any kindness and give her any hope would really just fuck both of them over. Yeah, absolutely. So to keep her confused and angry at him does make the most sense if he's playing the long game. Yeah, like he has to be prepared for everything. I still don't think that he loved her, loved her, actually, because like, I don't think you can love someone you don't know. Right. I agree. But he definitely had feel like we know he had very strong feelings for her. Right. And it all comes back to like his treatment of her under the mountain was valid for like what his purpose is and what he was trying to do and accomplish but he also really hurt her and screwed up mm-hmm. and which is why it takes so long at the beginning of Akamov for her to come to terms with it and for him to come to terms with okay I screwed up even if yeah. I had good intentions yeah yeah and this just adds more to that yeah 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 it, yeah it just makes the whole it makes sense why he kind of struggled with seeing why what he did was wrong because he was so focused on self-preservation and mm-hmm. beating Amarantha. And when you compare that to like some of his actions in Akawar, knowing he's going to hurt more mm-hmm. when with his deal with Eris. Yeah. No, not Eris. Yeah, a deal with Eris and deal with um, Kier. Kier, thank you. Like he knows he's going to hurt her and yeah. he knows that this is like the consequences are going to happen. Which is also... The same in Silver Flames when he doesn't tell Favor the truth. Yeah. It's it, he just repeats patterns. That's the only one that I don't see justified. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not seeing saying it's justified. No, no, but no. He just he displays this pattern. Yeah, he, he absolutely displays the pattern. I was just more thinking to myself, like, I'm willing to like, all right, you know, shove her arm, <laughs> shove her broken arm, <laughs> bend that bone <laughs> or like, all right, you want to fuck over more? I get it. I mean, I don't agree, but like, I get it. The, the pregnancy one, I'm like, no. But yeah, no, he has a history, he has a pattern in each and every book. Yep. He is consistent. Love a consistent. Give me a consistent male. <laughs> Consistently problematic. <laughs> yes, please. This comes from Catalina. It always bothered me that SJM keeps bringing up that Moore's power is truth, but we never see it and no one ever calls her out on it. It seems a little too much mentioned for someone so attentive to details as SJM. So what if Moore has a, quote, little Fenry moment? The way he could not use his powers after his brother died because it was something they shared and he thought it was gone forever. Maybe at some point, either during 
Cassian heiress episode or during the war with the queens, she used her powers and had a really big and nasty thing revealed. And now she's just afraid to use her powers. So she actually never used her powers, does not address it. Maybe she thinks she can't anymore, but just lets the ruse go on because it's convenient. I don't mind this theory. I love the idea that Moore's just faking it. Yeah. And honestly, it would make sense with everything about her. Right. And it would make sense why we don't understand it. Yeah. Like, and when I say everything about her, it's the same way that she's fa- that she's not out yet. Right. Like right. she's faking her truth. Right. And I mean, her journey, her decision, but like everything about like just what people think they know about her. Yeah. And people think they know about her using the power of truth. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if to what extent her magic, we won't actually be able to see or understand her magic in action until she comes out to everybody and is truly accepts herself Mm. and feels free to be her truth. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if, remember, Eris kind of like does a threatening thing, like, you don't even know Mm -hmm. what actually happened. What if she does her power's truth? So this like huge, big traumatic because they're saying like, what yeah. if they're like more had this one particular instance that was so traumatic that she doesn't even want to touch her truth again? Yeah. What if it was what if it's the truth of like what actually happened mm. behind the scenes with Eris, with Eris and Baron and her being attacked and everything? That would be interesting. Yeah. I mean, we all know my theory. <laughs> my I have no basis theory that more and Reese's sister were in a relationship and. I love it. And though. his and but it's Reese's also weird because they're cousins. Yeah, distant though. Distant, <laughs> like fourth cousins. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's cool. What's uh, legal? <laughs> Six cousins. Yeah. No. Yeah. Totally. She's blonde. She's blonde. <laughs> She's brunette. Like, yeah. Totally different. <laughs> it's fine. One has wings. One doesn't. Yeah. They're you know they're kissing cousins. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> You were having an issue with my step siblings thing. Yeah, I have no grounds on anything. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend like I have anything (laughs) to stand on. But we have more to this email, so I'm going to read the more. But it's not about more. That's right. (laughs) Also on Vansera. So if it were really to split it apart, extra read into it, Vansera of the greenhouse, as you said. Van Sarah of the evening, sometimes night. Sarah is evening in Italian. Van Sarah, those are three, three words there, of existing sun. I know super big stretch, but they come just to mind and I had to share. Sir is being, existing in some Latin language languages, and Ra, the god of sun. I thought this was really, really brilliant. I do, too. So for our listeners, Van Sarah of the Greenhouse is... Lucian's last name. Right. And it's spelt S-E-R-R-A. And then there's Van Sarah, Van Sarah with S-E-R-A, which is of the evening. And then Van Sarah, which is S-E-R space R-A. Brilliant. Yeah, it's splitting hairs. But it's amazing that all three of those things can be achieved. Look, I've got enough split ends to split these hairs and i agree <laughs> i think it's brilliant i think it's great and you know what every single one of them to me proves elaine <laughs> I, i'm not disagreeing with you yeah 
I'm not disagreeing with you. It's also cool that kind of his parentage might be hidden in his name. His parentage, yeah, totally hidden in the name, which is the same thing with Darth Vader. Yeah. Right? You're right. Good job, Catalina. Good job. We have another email from Isabel. Oh. I was listening to season three, episode five, and had some thoughts. You mentioned that the first rational decision Feyre makes regarding a political decision is when she spars with Eris and his brothers in the Winter Court. I want to argue that Feyre was thinking big picture politically for the first time because Cassian and Azrael are there watching her. They are members of her court, and seeing them may be the spark that reminds her of the bigger picture and give her clarity in that moment. Feyre has been in a fog of vengeance while in the spring court, and seeing the people she did all of this for reminds her of what is important and what they are ultimately fighting against. Remember, the last time Feyre saw Cassian and Azriel, they were on their deathbeds. You mentioned that Feyre values a die-for-me loyalty, and in those last moments she was with them, they were both on death's doorstep. Feyre is finally in front of people she respects, and that may be what causes the switch in her mind from magic first to political first. Yeah, I could see it being like a shock to the system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of like, oh, they're here. Put on my, my high lady cap on. Yeah, of just like reminding herself of who she is and not this kind of like feral creature out in the spring court <laughs> wrecking havoc. <laughs> Fair is just like this wild feral beast. Honestly. <laughs> in the like the autumn court, like there's already like rumors and lore about her. Like they say that this wild beast steals apples. <laughs> And she takes away your magic. She takes your magic by leaving the apples and takes more apples. We don't understand what's hurting her apples. So we don't grow apples anymore. Now we're all poor and destitute and bankrupt because that was our only export. Are we evil for laughing at We just maniacally laughed. I don't know. We just had a maniacal laughter moment. (laughs) (laughs) So she's feral, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, she's feral. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. What were we talking about? (laughs) Sorry, Isabel. Isabel, right back down to you. Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, she... It was a shock to the system. She got to see the two people that she thought were dying. Uh, it's a shame that it doesn't stick to her system. No, yeah. For a long time. For a long time. Thank you for listening to this mini episode of Book Talk for Book Talk. We encourage you to rate and subscribe to our show on your preferred podcast listening platform. We would love to hear your thoughts based on today's conversation. You can submit your comments to our form at booktalkforbooktalk.com or via our Camflare voicemail system. Please visit booktalkforbooktalk.com for more information. You can also follow us on TikTok or Instagram at the handle booktalkforbooktalk. Bye.